0: Hello and welcome to the Midnight Film Review. My name is Brian Stevens, and with me is with, with you as
1: always your esteemed co-host, Colin Smith. Great uh, to be back here in the cult of pop. I mean, wait, what is what is this? Uh, oh,
0: there one? it was that name. Uh, now we can all like, oh yeah, we got the the baby juices gone, and we can be free of mine. Colin's back hi um, hello hi is everybody is it another dc release is that why is that why you're back do we have do they still make those films have they not uh they not given up we yet? got a uh, sneak peek viewing of blue beetles that's what we're reviewing here today is the blue beetle don't
1: look that up on urban dictionary by the way you don't you don't want to know you don't want to know what brian's been subjecting
0: me to oh uh, i um i can't tell you how happy i am to see you um, I might break down in tears. It's been a long time since I see you, let alone talk about a movie, go see a film with you. This is exciting stuff. I
1: know it. It really has been far too long, and uh, it is entirely my fault as a <laughs> both a both a terrible person, but more importantly, a terrible friend is is what I am. So uh,
0: no, come on, you've been busy. Um, I mean, okay. So those who don't know Colin was in prison for the last two years, right? Uh, Rikers, right? And then we're at Rikers,
1: right? <laughs> you, You think too highly of me. (laughs) No, just Middletown Middletown State Penitentiary or something. I forget what I said. No, Colin. Claremont County County Correctional Facility.
0: (laughs) Colin is a lawyer. You are an attorney. Allegedly. Uh, Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, allegedly. Yeah, prove it. Congratulations uh, from the Midnight Film crew. Thanks.
1: It was a whole lot of work and... uh, you know, don't ever, don't ever do it. It was not worth it. It's never going to be worth it. It was a terrible <laughs>
0: mistake. So you're leaving the Midnight Film Review was not worth it. You're saying you should have stayed and, and not... not just be, stayed a server, stayed on the the Midnight Film Review, and never became an. Attorney. I feel like
1: there's a there's a middle ground in there somewhere <laughs> I could have navigated, maybe. But uh, yeah, in either case, uh, you know, the journey I started uh, when I left the show way back in 2018 has now. I don't know. I don't know. Finished is the right word, but uh, yeah, I made it. I, I succeeded. I, tasks failed successfully, something, whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, I guess, uh, I, I don't want to toot my own horn because um, it, you know, whatever. But yes, I, I'm a uh, licensed attorney in the state of Ohio. So, so uh, if you need to get out of any parking tickets or... Absolutely. If, if you want to be insured, the maximum legal sentence for any crime (laughs) any crime you commit any crime you can think of uh if you want to guarantee you will receive the harshest penalty possible um i mean i guess call me i'm not going to answer the phone i'm not your attorney's (laughs) not legal advice i don't know i don't know anything uh you know i uh i I just i like to talk about movies so maybe we should do that yeah
0: well i'm glad to have you here um we have a great show. I, I'm gonna do some old school stuff where I throw some. I, Colin, you have no idea what I'm gonna bring at you here, right? You have no idea.
1: Is I mean, unless this is uh
0: have has like
1: we used to do segments. I feel like uh, your franchise. They're franchising what now?
0: Yeah. Has that run
1: its course yet? Have they given up on that, Brian? No. Do you remember talking about the Tetris yes. movie? Yeah. And it came out. Did it? Yes, it came out. No, no. I actually, I refuse to believe that that is a thing that actually happened.
0: It, it it came out but it didn't not not what we're talking about. It, the the Tetris movie that came out was on the making of Tetris and how Oh well, it, that's it got okay. Developed. Don't, don't, don't hit me with
1: the technicality. Here. Okay. You know Te- what I mean? Yeah. You know no, no, about. no, I'm I'm with you. Okay. Um
0: no, but I don't think it's run its course because um as we saw today at the movie theater, they're willing to literally make anything into IP. Um and
1: it's Well that was more about uh you know, uh, retreading and rebooting existing IP than it was um, <laughs> desperately yeah. trying to cobble something into a for sure a multi <laughs> multi film multi character extended universe. That's true. That's um, true.
0: I'm sure that they're still going to do multiple reboots and remakes and putting together um uh um, what's a what's a just an off the wall like toy or board game um. Shoots and Ladders. I'm sure that movie's coming out soon. The, the Milton Bradley Cinematic universe. universe. Yes, 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 that's coming. No, this is not that. What I'm talking about now are three legit articles, but I didn't let Colin read. and I'm just going to throw it at him and we're going <laughs> we're going oh, we're going to talk about um, some three different things. And then we both have media hot takes. I can't wait to hear that deep roaring voice say those Three words mm-hmm. and then we're going to review uh, as you already know because you clicked on the episode Barbie um, Greta Gerwig's latest thriller set in Barbie land
1: right the uh, just the real intense murder mystery that uh, I wasn't I wasn't prepared for um,
0: I, I, I shit my pants three
1: times Cillian Murphy was, uh, was fantastic <laughs> and then uh, I realized I was in the wrong theater and yes. uh, we figured it out all right. Yeah. Or for that. those that thought
0: it we were going to watch uh, Oppenheimer, you were wrong. You were wrong, and spoiler alert: we were right. Yes, very much so. Yeah. All right, Colin. I'm gonna again. You can always. We haven't. I mean, I haven't done this in a while. We've. If you haven't, I don't know if you've listened to the show recently. We're doing a lot of TV, a lot of TV reviews. We reviewed Secession.
1: Some best some best of episodes.
0: In some there best Of, yeah. Thank yeah. you for
1: not doing those when I'm when I'm here visiting <laughs> because. uh boy oh, does that damn it, i should have made had boy, to make a list. Bad. It would, there would be no content there it would just be me uh waffling and being indignant <laughs> for about 70 minutes yes
0: uh for those who don't know just go look at some of the um top five or um best of episodes colin loves when i make him do a top five because um, he won't do one he just won't do one yeah
1: i, I there, i'm like physically incapable of uh of organizing things I like into some sort of hierarchical ranking. It's just, uh, I, I have a a, a a reaction to it.
0: Uh, <laughs> right. G- good, bad. A, a mental block. I shut down. Yeah. Um,
1: it's a bad time for everyone.
0: There you go. Um, so these three articles. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I, I'm just so excited. Midnight Filmer. No, that email no longer exists. Cult of Pop with a K. Cult of Pop at gmail.com. That's called Okay. a K. Email your thoughts on the episode. Email your thoughts on Barbie and Oppenheimer. Whatever, um, whatever. You, we, we haven't got an email in a long time, but again, I haven't really been asking for them. So, um, Adam, if you're out there, um, Drew, Drew, Rob, Bob, yeah, the old standbys, Everyone. yeah. yeah. Um, send us Will. Send us Send, Will, send, yeah. us, an, send us an email. Um, okay, are you ready for these? This open discussion? Absolutely not. Let's do it. All right, I'm going to start with um, what I think is. Probably the most interesting, and then to one that's a little bit more serious. Like, or we have, there's three, but we're gonna go in a um, ascending order to seriousness. Okay, so this one, I don't know if you heard about this. I don't know if we messaged about this. I think we may have texted back and forth, but AMC had pledged uh, earlier in the year that they were going to um, charge more for better seating. So, um, for instance, you know, if you're going on a very busy night, um, preferred seating. Choices like in the middle, um, you know, not all the way in the back, up closer, would be more expensive than, say, the front row seat. So they've decided that they were abandoning abandoning this because of, namely because it didn't have the desired effect in the test markets. One was people were basically choosing not to sit in the most expensive seat versus um, the, I guess... You would say the, the rush hour too, people were avoiding that time. So, like uh, between seven and nine or six and nine was this, you know, the what could be considered the busiest time. People were either going later to shows or earlier to shows, so they saw increased traffic at different times. And they said this is from the article. The results learned from Sightline at AMC. The pricing initiative that AMC piloted at Select Theaters clarified consumer reaction to see based pricing in the movie theater. More than three out of every four guests who previously sat in the first site site section continue to choose preferred sightline seating even with a slight upcharged. However, nine out of 10 guests, um, didn't like it and, uh, thought that they were being gouged. AMC theaters, either sitting in the preferred sightline section or elsewhere in the theater, AMC saw a little to no increase in patronage. Um, and front row seats tended to be continually not used. Right.
1: I, I mean, uh, I guess I, I understand the, maybe the, uh, the, the premise there, I mean, it's it's the way that, you know, um, uh, theater and concerts and uh, other kind of uh, reserved seating venue-based entertainment operates, but the, uh, it's not really the same experience as going to a movie, right? It's, a uh, you know, movies are, they run over and over again. Um, it's, you know, a few hours, uh, it, it. Just I I I guess it on paper, maybe it seems like it would have been worth trying, but I'm not at all surprised by it not having a a positive impact on attendance. Um, Right. I mean, I would it if that system was already in place, I would pay to be in a seat that was you know was a comfortable seat with a good viewing angle but uh i i could see myself also just trying to go at off hours to reduce costs um so i, I mean part of this is is probably a now that they've pivoted to reserve seating which uh, you know i i'm all in favor of but i, I feel like it also there could be some negative implications there for uh you know theater attendance um the, the it, this seems like a you know a natural progression charging more for uh for better seats but maybe i wonder if the if the uh the the difference in pricing was small enough that they could kind of swing this and just add a little extra revenue like if it was if it was like two dollars more for the the best 20 percent of seats i wouldn't i wouldn't change anything now i would still go to see the movie when i wanted to see it not that i see movies in theaters too much anymore, but um, that that's that is a small enough pain point that I think it would make a difference. So I wonder, I wonder how much, uh, how, what range we're talking about in in terms of, um, you know, the worst seats at the worst show times to the best seats at the best show times because that would probably tell us more. But
0: I, yeah, I didn't. I, I was looking to find out what the the difference was, and neither of the articles that were linked. Said, but I, I'm trying to pull this from my memory, and I believe they said it was about a 20% price difference from the front row to the middle seat, which isn't a whole lot. Let's just use a $10 figure. Um, so it's a couple probably, bucks. Probably be yeah, three bucks at least, three or yeah. four bucks. Uh,
1: how much the movies cost anyway? Who knows?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, again, that depends on the time and you know they are going forward with the preferred movies pricing. So like you're going to probably end up paying more to see a film like uh, Barbie than you would for a film like um, uh, trying to think of a lower, lesser release that came out recently. Um, oh, pff, the blackening, you know, uh, independent horror film that came out a few weeks ago. Like, you're just gonna probably end up paying more for that um, because they can, right? (laughs) I mean, if the demand is there. So, Um, I like. I was intrigued by this. What I think is a smarter choice is that they've basically said, okay, so it's coming to an end. AMC will pivot its focus to testing an entirely different type of spacious front row seating with extensive seat reclined in select locations. I don't know what that means, extensive. Like recline, like I mean, <laughs> I guess you're just gonna be laying down like you're in bed. I mean,
1: yeah, I, I guess like how far can you really, uh, how far can you really take this before you're like that? On one one end of the spectrum is like the current AMC experience, and the, uh, and the other is like the Alamo Draft House. So like, right, yeah. How far, <laughs> how far can you really upsell luxury seats and amenities before you're just changing your entire theater model um but I, you know i i mean uh i i've not been really following the health of the the, the cinema industry since well and i feel like a thousand years but since 2018 but definitely uh theaters were having a rough time um mm-hmm. during covid and i know some of the big theater chains are, are still probably struggling to some extent so you know i i I mean, this this just uh, I, I don't really feel too strongly one way way or the other here. Uh, I mean, if they're you know experimenting with ways to uh, stay in business, I, I guess this is doesn't seem too outlandish or egregious, and uh, it is what it is. I'd, I'd like to have the option of going to see a movie in theaters, and you know.
0: Yeah. So I yeah I agree with you. Um, we saw basically since this podcast started in 2015, we saw the amount of money and growth in the theater industry pretty much be stagnant um, since 2015. So like in 2015, um, you had uh, $11.1 billion domestic box office. 2016, 11.3. 2017, 11.1. 2018, you had a jump. 11.8 2019 you had 11.3 then the pandemic happened in uh, 2020 and 21 combined for uh, 6.5 billion 2022 last year was only 7.3 billion where most COVID restrictions were released people were back to the theater Um, this year is on pace to probably be around 9 but that is not a good sign to not even being back to like 2008 levels, right? Well, we we also
1: first of all, it's terrifying to think that we started talking about movies together in 2015, and it's now 2023. I know. I uh, I I don't ever. I don't think I really understood that 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 was our time frame until this moment. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Eight, eight years. That's that's wild, man. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, but also, we. I think the the pandemic is part of it, but we also started doing this right at right at the beginning of the streaming era in, in terms of film uh, streaming um, in terms of like the TV format and the quality there that was already established. But uh, like uh, in uh, twenty fifteen was a uh, Beast of No Nation, which was yeah. it was so we twenty fifteen was right at that time period where. Um, the the streaming companies were kind of it really was netflix then um trying to make a case for the legitimacy of cinema uh not coming to basically the the big screen um Mm -hmm. and the i mean talk about a, a market disruption i i don't know what what things would be like if um you know COVID had not happened but like it's it's just such a different landscape for how people view and consume media in general, but uh, especially I feel like cinema was one of the last was kind of the last bastion there. Um, and you know, I, I think a, lo- a lot of people, especially after the 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 dust settles from the pandemic, are more willing to watch movies at home and uh, right. more accepting of that that format um, as a way to enjoy things even you know maybe something that typically they would have gone gone to theaters to see so
0: yeah I totally agree and uh, just so those speaking of Beast of Nation that's one of the first movies we reviewed on this podcast and um, I have it right here that was October 27th 2015 um,
1: that's freaking crazy yeah
0: check it out you can you can listen to our old episodes when you hear us talk about Beast of the Nation the quality was significantly worse back then uh we've also i've also had to, because i switched to anchor which is run by spotify it's just way easier to because it's free to host i don't have to pay for hosting anymore uh-huh. um but it's also they flagged several of our episodes from them because i use like music that was not a copyrighted music so we've had several episodes taken down because <laughs> i used um I have to I would have to, I'm gonna have to go back in and, and fix those whenever I get. Do you
1: a still are do we still have like the doink 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 bumper? Is that still No, it's Harry that's Boy? no that's gone. That's,
0: that's a tragedy. I know. That's a crime. That was that was <laughs> do, <legendary>. do, do. <laughs> <laughs> I paid somebody for that. They I, know. I paid somebody to write that. Um and yeah. Every
1: great film. <laughs>
0: Doink, doink, doink. Uh, no, no, no. Oh. Unfortunately, no.
1: Beautiful.
0: All right. This next article is kind of in the vein of what we were just talking about the health of cinema. Um, so it was basically, we can say the final box office is in for Indiana Jones. Um, it may, for some reason, get some kind of weird second life, but Disney has been basically outside of Guardians of the Galaxy 3. This year has been a complete disaster for Disney at the box office. Expectations are on um, their big summer releases anyways is close to um, a $700 million loss. Um, and people are calling the Dial of Destiny the biggest uh, setback since John Carter. So Dial of Destiny earned $306 million worldwide, including $149 million in domestic audiences. It all started with a not-so-great $60 million opening. It's pretty close to the 50-50 split between North American and overseas audiences. Um, so this film, basically with marketing, cost um, about $500 million to make. That's with marketing. It was, the, the, it was a $300 million film. Usually you double it, but they actually cut back on marketing for this film because test audiences were not super happy with it. So they only spent about two hundred million dollars on, on marketing. So we are about five hundred million dollars mark uh, total with marketing, and it's probably worldwide going to grow significantly less than that uh, when it's done. I mean, it's, it's at three hundred six million right now. It's run at the box office is almost over, so it's going to probably lose at least one hundred and fifty, if not two hundred million dollars um, at the box office. Right. Um, now keep in mind the, the this movie was I I. I told colin earlier um i actually left early in this film uh, i left 20 minutes early because i just didn't care uh honestly it's, it's it's a long movie um it's the longest in the franchise by far and it's just not it, uh, it's about the same quality as kingdom of the crystal skull
1: um so just top notch at your
0: seat thrill ride <laughs> classic indie back at yeah. in his best right uh no no <laughs> oh Um, okay sorry if if anything you know i would say that this movie had potential if it was a, a little bit thinner and uh quippier and just a lot more interested in um the new characters and stop stop you know relying so much on harrison ford um the dude's 80 years old but that's either here or there this isn't a review of the film it's just it's a failure at the box office for many reasons disney's box office this summer is not looking good um and we we heard Bob Iger speak just this past week of trying to sell ABC, ESPN, and cut some of the "quote unquote" fat um, from the Disney um, brand. Mm-hmm. When we started this podcast in 2015, we talked about Disney literally owning everything. They were on a trajectory of like you know owning theaters. That was a big thing. They were trying to basically muscle their way into theater ownership. Uh, I talked to them. I, I made it that joke where I was like, they're going to own the internet that you stream, the streaming service that you stream, and the television. They're going to start making those two because it just seemed like they were on a trajectory to really just literally take over everything. Um, but what we've seen in the last, basically since pandemic, but I don't really know that pandemic had much to do with it. Yes, the parks and yes, the theater viewership, but like well, the money that they sunk into streaming which was, I think, close to, I want to say, ten billion dollars um, overall, and they've they they haven't shown a profit yet. So, what? How do you forecast Disney going forward? Can they rebound? I mean,
1: so I, I guess this is one of those situations where, I, first of all, I don't know um, uh, what. So, a lot of times the these. Uh, entities will will kind of have, um, you know, the the streaming division and the the film studio and the TV divisions will all be be separate corporate entities and have, you know, separate um, uh, financial statements. Um, and so I I mean has like how are they organized? Is somebody actually reporting a loss? Because there's no way the the parent company is not still making money, right? I, 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 my reaction is just without knowing anything is that Disney is going to be fine. Yeah. How could they, I mean, they're, they're just so big and they own so much of the most beloved IP that no, who else comes close and how, I mean, how much money. So we, we have like the last few years, um, Really, the kind of—I think they've struggled a lot with the, the Star Wars franchise in general, uh, not really knowing, not really understanding what <laughs> what to do there. Um, and I think the the Marvel films have probably um, been—I think we're in a new epoch of Marvel films, post you know, post yeah. Endgame. What is it? Phase three now? Is that what? Phase we're four. In? Phase four, um, where. You know they're kind of suffering from their own success right they i mean made just printing money with with these films um and were so successful getting buy-in and becoming part of the zeitgeist and forging this new type of you know s- cinematic dynasty <laughs> that so many people tried to emulate unsuccessfully yeah. like Uh, They did it, and people. I mean, people were in. The movies made a ton of money. People were invested, and then you reach a natural climax, a natural conclusion to the story. Uh, If you hadn't been building there, then you probably wouldn't have been successful in the first place. But you know, there's genre fatigue, right? So, absolutely. um, I don't know if that is. how much that is directly related to what you're talking about. But,
0: um, I mean, are any of the streaming services making money? Netflix Every- actually is right now. Netflix is the only one that's, uh, and they, you know, for years they were losing money, losing money, lose money. Right. Last year was the first year they actually made a profit, like yeah. a, a true positive revenue, um, that they weren't, you know, immediately just putting back into the business. They actually had a surplus of cash for mm-hmm. the first time ever. Um, and, but yeah they're the only ones currently right so I, I yeah I, I mean I
1: feel like there are a few different questions here I feel like the the streaming wars and we started doing this before Disney or Apple had a streaming service right I mean it's yeah. so wild to think about we we saw like the the boom there and the gold rush and then we saw kind of some of the the late to the game competitors with with not enough capital you know come and go right. Um. and yeah but I, I feel like the uh, the the for me it, it's like that's a separate question from what is what is Disney doing with uh, with their film studio and I mean for the last 10 years they've just been pumping out films related to existing beloved IPs right. and right you know even even the bad iterations were profitable but um right yeah that well i mean that well is gonna run dry at some point so well this
0: is the first year excluding the pandemic years first year since 2014 that a disney movie will probably not make a billion dollars worldwide um that's they have the haunted mansion coming out i don't that's not predicted to be that successful um but uh guardians 3 is gonna fall around 850 million which is a still success um but it would be the, probably the first year that they don't have a billion dollar film since 2014. Um, so uh, when you look, at, th- this is the weird part about Disney is it, the, really, I feel like the, the streaming stuff, you kind of knew that that was going to be a weird transition, right? It's, it was going to take time to figure that out, right? Um, get the, the, um, the value out of that. They knew they were going to lose money. The problem really was the the previous CEO, and I don't remember who replaced Iger before Iger came back, but he things he did, I, like, really hurt the parks, and obviously COVID was part of that too. But the, the parks lost, um, not they didn't lose money, but they weren't making the same amount of money. And obviously we know how uh, corporate America works your your worth is based off on how much more money you make than you year before, right. not how much yeah. profit you actually are making. Profit,
1: yeah, profit isn't enough. You have to have growth. Right. That's, that's how you measure success. Right.
0: Um, which is kind of silly, but the they, I don't know if you heard about this, but they, they opened up the, uh, Star Wars galactic star cruiser hotel, right? This was supposed to be like this big thing. They pumped millions of dollars into this, like, um, this, it was, it it was kind of expensive, right? Like they were going to, it was going to be pretty expensive to stay there. It was not a ton of space but it was like all encompassing Like you got like three meals a day obviously it was like you're staying in a star wars like themed hotel Mm -hmm. um it lost 300 million dollars um in its run for the last uh, year and a half since it's been opening and it is coming to a close this year they're going to close it down um so those kind of like big swings and misses um i think have kind of affected disney on top of the streaming aspect And then when you look at the box office not being the bankable asset that it was pre-pandemic, you're kind of in a place where I'm surprised that they're trying to get rid of ESPN. Because one of the only profitable things on television is sports. Like that's the only place that you can sell commercial is on sports. Mm -hmm. But I think that they're trying to sell high, right? Like that would be the idea is like this is one asset that we can sell off now. Um, and cause even with sports being, I don't think, I don't think the value of, of sports television is ever going to go lower. It's probably going to either be the same or higher every year because people love sports in America, but they're trying to make some money and recoup and kind of like restructure. And so I guess that part of it makes sense. Um, but I just am shocked. I I mean, when we started this podcast, I really thought that Disney was on this trajectory of just like ruling the world and just be this all-consuming blob that it was just going to keep pulling in different um, things until it ran, until it was the United States of Disney, and it seems to not be that.
1: Well, I mean, you know let's let's not uh, let's not count them out yet. We have a few years of setbacks, but in the grand scheme of things, I mean, what other studio in the last ten or fifteen years mm-hmm. has Put up the same amount of box office great, great um, returns and the answers <laughs> i don't think anybody else is even a little bit close no right you're right um no I, I mean the the counterpoint is you know they've burned the goodwill associated with all the ip that got them there what do they do now like if they can't um just keep going back to those same wells i mean the marvel acquisition was lightning in a bottle nobody had any idea mm-hmm. um it was going to become what it is today uh so yeah, I don't know. I, I will. I will be interested to see. Um, I mean, I, I keep waiting for all of these studios to learn their lesson, and they never do. So right. I like. I'm about to say something, and then like <laughs> about. Right. I, I'm interested to see what they're gonna do when they no longer are making Star Wars and Indiana Jones and Marvel film. But they're they they never learn. Right. They just keep doing it. Right. Uh, it's like they keep stepping on that rake. And uh, then they turn around and they they forget and they step on it again. It just uh, uh I mean, even <laughs> like you look at Warner in DC and like it's just the films aren't good mostly. And I mean, I I guess they're making money. Um, they're never making as much money as they Warner wants them to make, but um it just it just feels like i i but they they just keep making (laughs) them i don't i don't understand what's going on yeah um and you like the the the, we even watch i feel like we've been watching the wheels fall off in slow motion of the of the dceu for like five years now (laughs) like it's just the tr it's just, just a car crash that is just the car's still crashing. Yeah. Like, uh, well, now they're, re- they're now jamming they're... on the accelerator, and the car is still crashing. And uh, but now maybe now the wheels have finally. Well, now they're now
0: they're rebooting. They brought in James Gunn oh, to run I the forgot, whole. I forgot about the whole that. thing, yeah. but right. the, the, you got to remember this year they still had movies from the Snyderverse coming out. Like Blue Beetle was a part of that. Aquaman is still coming out, which I should have put this in there. Um, I read an article today. There have more reshoots on Aquaman. Aquaman is probably going to be pushed back again. This movie has been in production since like 2019 or something like whenever the other one came out which i don't even remember now it went into production immediately after that because it was successful so they're like let's make another aquaman and they've had to do research this will be the third round of reshoots for this for this film this aquaman sequel so you have aquaman coming out you have this blue beetle movie coming out flashes came out so they have all these they have a uh, maybe another film that's coming out that is still connected to that old Snyderverse before they even reboot with the James Gunn thing, so... Yeah,
1: all right. So, uh, just kidding. We're living in a bizarre world. The studios will never learn their lesson. They will just keep beating the dead corpses until uh, entropy, the heat death of the universe occurs. Uh, right. The sun explodes. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> a solar flare takes us all out. Right. There's no longer... There are no longer our movies. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, my reaction is Disney's going to be fine, but it is weird to think about... Uh, like what would cinema look like without these huge franchises dominating the box office year after year? I mean, we go we go even like uh, you know looking at Avatar. Avatar is now a, somehow a franchise. Uh,
0: yeah, like,
1: right. Ha- how many and like the the fast the Fast and Furious movies? Like how many um, how many top box office earners are original IPs anymore? Well, if we cold all of the the sequels and reboots and spinoffs and Called everything that wasn't, you know, a relatively new IP, um, like let's say a, a an original film or like a sequel. I, I just I don't know what is left that is, is is making money in the way that, you know, like, is so insane that the studios can't help themselves and they just keep making more.
0: I'm um, I'm I'm looking now, um, so last year the 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 number one movie that wasn't a a right video game movie adaptation yeah. of, of something like that or, somewhat original or, yeah. or a sequel was nope and it made 123 million and it was 14th in the box office
1: right a hundred i mean a hundred million is that's
0: abject failure for most films honestly like at at this point
1: that's i mean but that's that's not even the production that's not even a a
0: right half of the production Uh, costs
1: of a of a blockbuster anymore like and i'm sure that the the margins there were fantastic and i think that does um for for some studios um or for some production companies that the margin is still um you know very important but it becomes a different conversation when we're talking about like the, the top 10 earning films of the year when they're approaching a billion dollars in right. ticket sales. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, again, like we're, we're doing this to ourselves and, uh, we've been, we've been talking about this bubble since 2015. I mean, yeah. as long as I can remember, we've been right, <laughs> yeah. wondering how, how sustainable this was. And I guess we're just going to keep wondering this until, uh, we're, we're not talking to each other. And to you, with, with microphones over the internet. Anymore. Before
0: we move on to the next and final uh, open discussion topic, 2019, pre-pandemic, the last full year of films, the top eight films were all Disney films. So you had Endgame, Lion King, Toy Story 4, Frozen, Captain Marvel, Rise of Skywalker, Spider-Man, Aladdin. Number nine was Joker, Number ten was it? Chapter two. The highest ranked or highest um, revenue, or what am I saying here? The the top box office of non of, of a non uh, franchise sequel, whatever, was us. So another Jordan Peele movie. So it's Jordan Peele versus the yeah. world, is what we
1: what we're seeing. That's incredible.
0: Yeah, and then you have to go all the way down to Quentin Tarantino at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at number eighteen at one hundred forty one million to be find the next non sequel non you know,
1: right? IP. Yeah. So like, what in what years does uh does Chris Nolan release movies? Right. That's probably
0: that's yeah. I right. mean,
1: it it I guess and I guess that's what it takes. Which is uh, I you know I don't have a problem with that. and We probably really need to move on at this point, but um, you know there so f- there are so few filmmakers that have that track record and that cachet um and that can you know consistently deliver uh films that that you know gross that that kind of money um and i don't know i mean like there are other filmmakers i can think of but um they either don't really do work that you know has that kind of box office draw or um, you know they they do franchise work, or it, it's just there. There aren't many people who can who can kind of be uh, make their own films and still potentially have that kind of draw.
0: So, yeah, it's really like a, a handful of of, right. of directors, like not many. All right, moving on to something a little bit more serious, and I'm really interested to get your thoughts on this. I briefly touched on it on the last podcast we had. Um, so we're talking, I'm going to talk about the writer's strike slash uh, sag strike, but this specifically is <laughs> towards Ryan Murphy. So Ryan Murphy recently just signed a, um, a huge deal, um, and he has three shows in production currently, and he uh, has threatened to sue the WGA uh, strike captain. Um, Ryan Murphy in a letter from his attorney to the leadership of the WGA threatened litigation against Warren Light um, an East Coast strike captain and strike rules compliance committee member Um, the flap started June 21st when Light a former uh, Law & Order SVU showrunner and playwright alleged in a tweet that crew members on Murphy's American Horror Story had told him that they were blackballed in Murphyland if they don't cross the guild picket lines At that time, a spokesman for Murphy called Light's tweet, absolute nonsense and categorically false. However, Murphy has repeatedly stated that he is not in favor of the strike, and um, even though these are unsubstantiated and completely false and inaccurate, he does um, say that he is not going to strike with the rest of the writers and is hoping that um, things are cleared up quickly. Um, so, I mean, obviously, producer Ryan Murphy is not siding with the writer Ryan Murphy here. Um, and Ryan Murphy is obviously, I mean, uh, he's, I would say one of the biggest, him and Shonda Rhimes are probably the two biggest names in television show running right now um so the deal he he got he had that 300 million dollar deal with netflix and now he's negotiating another 300 million dollar deal with disney speaking of disney they're trying to sign him away which thinking about ryan murphy's stuff on disney plus or whatever it's like what really you want that his shows like that are pretty much adult like yeah the, horror, it's, it's sex driven. Weird,
1: right yeah that weird sort of like uh uh, not basic cable. I mean, what do you, what is yeah. like FX? What is that, uh, yeah, what is it's, that genre? It's like of...
0: it, right, it's like, I guess it's like below uh, uh, premium cable, like right. basic cable, like uh, it's like that, yeah, that you know push the limits of PG 13 or whatever, yeah. So I don't know, I just think this is, I mean, I kind of want your thoughts on the strike right now. I don't know if you've heard anything about it, but I, I mentioned this on a TikTok, um. But basically the four things that the writers want are better residuals because of streaming has obviously just completely ruined any kind of like residuals that you get. Um, Two is they want um, better retirement plan, which you know that most strikes or talks about, you know, benefits, health insurance, that kind of stuff. But the two things that I think are probably most important um but residuals is really important those things are other other things are important but one is ai right they want some assurance other job versus ai same thing with the actors right now ai is like the hot topic and Mm -hmm. what the production companies want to do with ai is just i mean like you're essentially just removing writers and and actor uh, you know we're not talking about leo we're talking about the people in the background the people that don't make a whole lot of money we're talking about not Ryan Murphy or Jordan Peele, we're talking about writers that you know write on shows that are script doctors, that they you know are basically making a lot less money than the, the average, um, when you think of uh, the average, they're the average, not the high end, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other part of this I think is really important is you have exclusivity rights when you're a writer. So like if you get signed on to, let's just say, a Law & Order SVU, you sign a contract with them, you can only write for that show. Well, the problem right now that we've seen with a lot of these is, um, for the benefit of television, a lot of these shows are shorter ran television series, right? So, if you you know write a nine episode series, well, your contract is might be for a year or that might be for two years, but you're only getting paid for those episodes you write. You don't get paid when you when you're not writing. So, you write those nine episodes, you're done writing. The show airs. If you have a, a contract, you have to wait till that time runs out. You're not necessarily getting paid. You're getting paid. You're not getting Paid at all? You've already been paid for that, and the fact now that residuals aren't happening, you're not getting that money when there's reruns. You're not getting that money when they're played multiple times on Netflix. So, it's just a really, really, really dark time to be a writer. And so, not having someone like Ryan Murphy back you up on this is tough. I mean, it's a scary time to be a writer. Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I, I guess, but I, I feel like, uh, and. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I know it a ton, um, other than maybe, you know, what you, what you just said and, and some pretty, uh, superficial articles I've read. Um, and, and most, a lot of them kind of focus on the, uh, the, both the risk of generative AI and in, in these large language models they pose to, to writing. And, uh, I, I don't, this is one of those things where um, I'm sure we, like, I will, I could talk about AI and somebody who actually knows something about, <laughs> um, you know, quote unquote AI as it exists now and as we've seen in, um, you know, the chat GPT uh, and the equivalents would, would like cringe and I, I'll get everything wrong. But um, I, I don't know how realized the risk is um, from those products to writers right now, but the the risk, um, the, the, other, the other kind of aspect is what you talked about, which is, um, you know, likeness rights and the ability to kind of be, you know, scanned uh, and, <laughs> um, you know, used ad infinitum without really being compensated for it. And I, I feel like that is a, uh, that's a much more tangible concern, um, uh, for the most vulnerable people because i mean there are plenty of of featured actors and leading actors who they might not be stars they might not be the top two or three build people on a, a production but uh, people who are on like popular shows and uh you know they might they might have be a a re- recurring regular character they might be in like you know 60 percent of the the episodes of a of a show and they might be paid you know eight nine ten twelve fifteen thousand dollars an episode but um they <laughs> they live in they have to live in hollywood and right. like the people who people can be famous uh and still have to like wait tables <laughs> yeah uh, after they've quote unquote made it and those are people who might be doing well by, you know, by acting standards. Like it's just, uh, it's, it's one of those things where, um, and I I feel like maybe professional sports are an easy point of comparison, even Mm -hmm. though the scale is way different where like, you know, we, we look at sports stars Mm -hmm. who have like 10, 20, 30, 40, $50 million contracts and, the outlier are people who are paid league minimums who are making like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars playing next to somebody making a million dollars a game. Like it's just, uh, uh, but, but even that is, is like it just that working conditions there are so much better than (laughs) right. Yeah. People who, you know, are, are trying to make it in this industry and just, uh, don't get a living wage or who, who work, full-time in this industry and then have to work full-time doing something else just to to make ends meet. So, you know, I, I mean, whatever. F- f- fuck these big... Co- am I allowed to say that for word? Yeah, yeah, step? yeah. Uh, fuck these big corporations. Like, people... I, I mean, like, collective action is great. I'm glad unions exist for this reason because people need to protect their rights and even if the AI concerns weren't real, I mean, they're like... The 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 discrepancy and like the the tearing from like the the top one percent and point one percent versus you know the bottom 80 percent like it's just it sucks people mm-hmm. people think of you know big movie stars and uh you know big directors and big writers and uh a, a lot of people work very hard uh, because this is what they love and this is what they're passionate about and uh they have to pay. They have to pay the system to, uh, yeah, to even uh, you know have a chance at at meaningfully participating. So, um, mm-hmm. but you know, in the, in the future looking points, I I, I think it would be a, you know, a, it's it seems real dystopian the mm-hmm. idea that we can you know you can buy an extras face and then yeah. <laughs> never have to pay background actors again. Um, right. uh, even if uh, even if like uh, we're talking about like completely generating a you know a fictional human being um, from scratch or something uh, that's a far different conversation than an existing person's likeness being basically taken away from them for pennies (laughs) on the dollar right Um, but yeah you know I um, I hope they get their demands and I you know I whatever they're always going to be assholes who are making way too much money trying to pressure, uh, the people who really need the strike and who the strike is about, um, trying to pressure them into, to caving or, you know, right. Uh, using their influence to, uh, to be a narcissistic asshole. So, uh, you know, whatever Ryan Murphy, uh, can, can choke on it. I mean, <laughs> I mean your shows are overrated and, uh, Whatever. Yeah, I, 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 I hope agree. I hope people get paid a living wage. People get deserve to get paid a living wage, really, no matter what they're doing. So,
0: and I hope that the the residual things is like I mean, we could talk about it for hours on end. Um, streaming has really screwed that up. I mean, it's it's we, as much as streaming is awesome, it's also like we don't realize like how much money you know people made off of uh, their TV show being played in syndication. They just it and syndication is just not a thing anymore
1: right uh, or, or I mean Netflix right now like Netflix is uh, I think maybe the catalyst for mm-hmm. a lot of these complaints and the way that they've really I mean changed the game in residuals because you know nothing is nothing is syndicated it's all owned and on their platform and, and then the way they treat um, you know renewing series and uh, yeah they, with the way contracts are written you know I've heard some stuff there that they they're pretty Predatory about canceling shows um, in in such a way that uh, they can avoid paying people more, um, and it just you know it. But they're at the same time like because of all that they're they're the ones who are uh, least hurt by the strike, yeah. which yep. is yep. You know, of course that's the way it works because that's the that's the the why there's a strike in the first place. So, right. You know,
0: I love getting your thoughts on that. I, I was. I've expressed a very similar opinion for a a, a while now and um, it doesn't look like there's an end in sight but we can keep our fingers crossed and keep hoping that um, something is made but we definitely definitely for the sake of the industry writers and and actors cannot back down on the AI part of this 100% they can't it'll just completely destroy the industry and also they gotta figure out a way to get paid on residuals because it's just you're not gonna people you're gonna not have writers if they're not getting paid like why would you continue to do this if you're not getting paid and it just it, it's a catch twenty two for the production companies too obviously so it's like they gotta figure out a way to make money. I get it, but also you gotta get paid for your effort. Um all right let's let's move on to uh media hot takes. Media hot takes. Oh I've been waiting for that. <sighs> Alright. Um that's that's the second um big O I've had this podcast. Oh um i'm gonna kick it off first and we're going i'm gonna uh, kick it to you and then you kick it back to me and then i kick it to you mm-hmm. okay sound let's, good let's do it yeah. i'm gonna start with a television show um and this television show is on a streaming service that i had never heard of until i started watching the show and i actually had saw it recommended on uh, twitter uh, and social media and um that's the tv show from have you heard of this no. No. Why are you laughing? Because
1: it's a preposition. Like, oh,
0: okay. I get it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I feel it,
1: like we're gonna start a who's on first uh, routine <laughs> there. That's where. That's where I, I felt like that
0: was going. All right. It's. It is a terrible title for a show. I, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, it's on MGM Plus. That's not a real thing. Um, I don't believe. You. I had to look it up because I had never heard of MGM Plus. MGM Plus. It was previously Epics. Remember Epics?
1: I. I mean, I've seen. I know I've seen it. Epics. Uh, Like a logo somewhere, an app download, or something, I don't know. Yeah, sure.
0: So so real quickly, Epix um, was a premium cable channel in the vein of you know HBO and Showtime and all that. Epix was a cable channel. Yes, I
1: thought it was just a streaming platform.
0: No, it was. Oh man, it was purchased by Amazon, (laughs) and when they purchased MGM as well, they combined the two. And um, this year, they transitioned Epix streaming to MGM Plus. Mm. So there, there you have that.
1: How uh, much does that cost a month? I don't know. Oh,
0: I don't. Okay. I, don't I, 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 stream it. Yeah, from something. Okay. Um, anyways, uh, from it's, I explained this to my dad because I told my dad he'd love it. The problem is trying to figure out a way for my dad to watch this. Um, but it's, it's very Stephen King esque. Um, I com- I compared it to Lost meets Salem's Lot. So, I'm going to give you the premise of the show, um, and I'm not going to go too deep into anything as far as plot, but the idea of the show is, it starts out with a family, a um, uh, 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 mom, dad, daughter, and son, they're traveling, they end up in this town, you find out very quickly that it's the town is um, in another universe, maybe, another plane of existence, maybe it's afterlife we, we don't really know and uh, you don't find out in any of the two seasons exactly what's going on but what you do know is that you can't leave the town and at nighttime everyone has to go in lock their doors and hang up this tal- talisman on the door or else these monsters who it's very vampiric but they're not vampires right they will rip the flesh off you they eat you and leave your carcass behind so it's very horror driven, a little bit of sci fi, and the world, but the, the world building is so good. And this show is entertaining. Uh, the performances are okay. It's not like the actors in this are, I mean, you may recognize some of their faces. Um, the lead, the main character is uh, played by Harold uh, per- Per-New? Per-New? Um You may know him from, he was Link in the Matrix. Um, he's got a familiar face like he's african-american you have seen him in a million things but he's the lead he's the sheriff of the town he's kind of the one that kind of is in control um and then there's a bunch of character actors that you might recognize along the way but so the performances are like decent they're not i'm not going to tell you they're like Emmy worthy or anything like that but the writing and the storytelling and the world building is so good the world building has me hooked like, absolutely hooked. And not, and, and what they've done is they haven't, like, they haven't d- jumped the shark yet the way that Lost does eventually. How dare you. Um, I know, right? Um, they've done a really good job of keeping the mystery tied to the vest, but also, like, causing conflict within the world that seems realistic, right? What would you do if you were locked in your house all night and you had to worry about your children opening windows and doors? Like, those, you know real tangible like scary things um the 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 design of the monsters are are great um just it's just fantastic i absolutely like. i, I breezed through 20 episodes in the last three weeks like i had to like really pace myself because there was times where i wanted to keep going to next one next one next next one so if you haven't seen from figure out a way to get mgm plus or another way to watch it and check this show out because i if you like any of those things that i mentioned Guaranteed, you'll like this. It's very Stephen King-ish. Um, I actually wanted to see who the writers were and what they've done before. Um, have you heard of this? No, I'm guessing because
1: uh, no, if you couldn't tell by my reaction <laughs> to either the name of the show or the platform it was uh, it was featured on, I've never even heard of this.
0: So the it's it's um, the showrunner's John Griffin. He wrote for the Paramount uh, reboot of Twilight Zone, so he has that going in his back pocket, and he wrote for the Disney Plus show Crater. But that's all he's done. So this is original idea from him, and um, he's got a couple other writers that he works with, but for the most part, it's all John Griffin, and um, I think it's fantastic. And it just got renewed for season three, so I'm excited to see where it goes. All right. Well, yeah. You said
1: said Stephen King, and I I thought it. And, uh, you know, that... We're maybe there's a theme there uh, somewhere. Um, So a few weeks ago, I don't remember exactly when uh, we learned of the unfortunate passing of a Hollywood legend. uh, None other than Mr. Treat Williams. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard kind of mixed things about, uh, you know, obviously I'm not an actor. (laughs) I've never lived in Hollywood. Uh, I've never been on a, you know, a live set before. Um, I've heard mixed things about uh, Treat Williams over the years, uh, you know. Uh, per- personally, and you know, as a working actor, like uh, what, I guess in the context of what he was like on set and what he brought to roles, and uh, I don't really want to talk about that. Um, he he is is a legend. I think that's undeniable. Um, he was in like one hundred and thirty films. Jeez uh, during, during his lifetime. Um, and I've, I've always known him as kind of a, like an A-list B movie mm-hmm. actor. Right. Where he's like, he occupies this weird space where he's he's like famous and he's like a leading man, but he's a leading man in, in bad movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, in kind of honor of Treat Williams, I wanted to talk about a film that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, and I recently revisited a little Steven Summers vehicle called Deep Rising. Yes. And I sent a text to Brian about this, and I, I don't know if he thought I was serious uh, or not. Um, but when when we heard of uh, Treat Williams' passing, I said R.I.P. Treat Williams. I'm gonna I'm gonna revisit Deep Rising, and I am so glad I did. The movie held up beyond all expectations really um, i haven't watched s- this in years so yeah so for uh just to save you two seconds from looking it up on imdb uh if you don't know stephen Summers i think the next film he directed after deep rising was the first mummy movie yeah which is just a fantastic action vehicle it, it's mm-hmm. like it um uh, you know I, I think you would be hard-pressed to find somebody who didn't just g- generally enjoy the mummy right yeah like what People can pick it apart, but um, I, you can see all of the sensibilities there uh, in Deep Rising that he would bring to the Mummy. It is just, it is like the Platonic ideal of a B action movie. Mm. It's it is bad, um, but it, it like it doesn't matter. Um, it's over the top. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. It's silly. It's corny. But everything just works so well. It is, it is such a good time. Um, and the editing and pacing is, is great. Uh, I, I had so much fun revisiting this movie. It's, it's from that weird era where like everything is CG, um, (laughs) because I guess maybe it was cheaper. Uh, you could use CG to do things that you could never afford to do practically, even if they didn't turn out that well. Um, even though it's 1998 and a low budget ish movie and the CG's not great. So the, like the, the, um, the design, I, I want to say, I don't know if it's giving anything away. I mean, the movie has been out a thousand years. <laughs> yeah. uh, the creature design yeah. for deep rising is surprisingly good. Um, and it, I know it's, it's actually based on a real thing, which is probably why. Um, but it, it's just great. It has everything. It's like a, uh, I, I forget, there, there's like a specific genre. It's like a, um, it's like Steven Summers wrote, uh, wrote Aliens. <laughs> he repackaged Aliens. Um, and you know, got, a, got, got some money and, and shot it. Um, but I remember renting this movie with my dad from like Hollywood or Blockbuster and just, you know, watching it like late on a Friday or Saturday night. Um, and just thinking it was, it was like so, so cool. And like, nobody knew about this movie and it was so great. And, uh, it really, it, it held up in ways I did not expect it to. Um, the cast is surprisingly good. So, uh, Janssen, um, who went on to play, uh, Jean Grey and Phoenix in the original X-Men films. Um, uh, Kevin O'Connor, who is... Uh, uh a character actor what he plays a character in the mummy um the little annoying yeah. guy what's his what's the uh, character's name i remembered ben, it the other day uh, benny. benny benny yes yeah. um yeah anthony healed uh west Studi, uh who you remember from been a, a phenomenal character actor who has been in um, everything um probably way too good for the rest of the movie uh <laughs> jason fleming um a british actor uh G, and a very young Jimon Hansu. Um, it's just it's it, it is a, it is everything most of B-movies aspire to be um, and Treat Williams leads and he is just uh, he's exactly himself where you feel like he is kind of maybe the one person in the cast who doesn't understand what movie he's in um, and and it but uh you know it it all comes together very well so uh, you know love him or hate him or mixed feelings about the movies he was in Um, i think deep rising is a great watch that started as an ironic watch but is really just it's a lot of fun as like uh you know a popcorn kind of you don't have to take it seriously action vehicle um and you you know you get to see a film by a director who would go on to make something uh, pretty great immediately afterwards, even if this is panned and forgotten. So, uh, yeah, that's Deep Rising, and uh, you know, um, rest in peace, Treat Williams.
0: I'm going to uh, revisit this probably around Halloween. So it,
1: I, I'm really uh, like I watched I watched like uh, both Extraction movies and like two John Wick movies <laughs> and this movie, and this was. I wish I had just watched this movie and not watch any of those. Other really, films, yeah. It, it's just it was it was so much fun and like just it, like doesn't take itself seriously. But uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain. But yeah, it was great. Um, Deep Rising.
0: All right, my next media hot take is actually two films, but there one is uh, a sequel to the original, and I watched them in the same night a couple nights ago. And um, the original was it came out in 2020, I think. Um, Yeah, 2020, and it was recommended to me by uh, one of my followers on TikTok because I reviewed uh, um, the David Harbor vehicle, um, Violent Night, the Christmas where he's Santa Claus and he, it's like Die Hard. And I mentioned something in there in that review of like I wish it had more because there were some Home Alone antics in it. I was wishing that there was more of this little girl who creates deadly traps. And so uh, they recommended the film Becky. And have you heard of this? I have not heard of this. So Becky is directed by Jonathan Millow and Carrie Murnion. Um, that the, the, this is the first one. The second one has got a different director, and I'll talk about that in a second. And the difference between the film. It's um, stars Lulu Wilson, who you would recognize Lulu Wilson from. Um, she was. Did you watch the Haunting of Hill House on Netflix? The the uh, limited series. Uh, I think Um, I started to watch it. It was just the, the haunting. uh, Was it the haunting? It's the haunting of Hill house. Yeah. Uh, So I don't, it's a Mike Flanagan. Yeah. I I
1: started and I didn't, I was really enjoying it and I didn't finish it and I don't really know why, but um, yeah. Well,
0: I would recommend it. It's fantastic. One of the, one of my favorite things ever, honestly, Um, really powerful stuff there, but she's in that. That's probably what she's most known for. Um, but she's young, talented actress. I think she was like 16 or 17 when this film came out. Um, anyways, basically, her this, this is the story her mother passes away. Uh, her dad, played by Joel McHale, uh, is taking her to their lake house or cabin in the woods to basically surprise her that he's remarrying. Um, and she doesn't take it very well, so she runs off into the woods while she's away. Uh, Neo-Nazi Kevin James and his... Uh, yes, Kevin James. That Kevin James. And his um, Neo-Nazi crew um, invade their home looking for an artifact that's going to lead them to something. And she basically sees one of them kill her dog. Spoiler alert, but this is an inciting incident. And then she becomes a thorn in their side very rapidly. This movie is gruesome. It's violent. It's... Um, at times heartwarming and tragic all in the same breath um it's you don't see a lot of films like this made it's very unique um it's i would, the lead performance by um lulu L- wilson is fantastic and kevin james as a nazi is just a master class of <laughs> a masterclass of casting because it is so out of the box and so good like you would be shocked so, and it's it's a, it's a an hour and a half movie. It's a, an hour and 30 minutes. So I love this movie so much. I was like, I gotta watch the sequel. The sequel just came out. It's called Wrath of Becky. I'm um, not gonna spoil too much about this, but this time the uh, people um, kidnap her dog and they are incels who are led by Sean William Scott. And so she has to then wreak havoc on them in a total different setting, both this movie is even shorter. It's an hour and twenty-four minutes. Um, it was. I'll tell you who the director of this one was. His name is Matt Engel and Susan Koot. Um, they uh, are uh, uh, they are probably best known for the directing directing episodes of Dave, um, and the humor comes through a lot in that, but this movie the second one is not as um i would say satisfying because i mean nazis versus incels right it's kinda i just, mean
1: the stakes are a little bit uh maybe a little bit yeah different there i mean once you escalate the nazis you don't leave yourself a lot of room <laughs> right
0: right <laughs> they're,
1: they're they're nazis but they're also pedophiles next time uh i mean right. where, do you, where do you go from there really
0: exactly so um you know, they try to drum up some some hate and they try to make Sean Sean William Scott's actually fantastic as well in this
1: right. so I, I know he I can see Sean William Scott being a character actor and he's he's done character work before, but I you said Kevin James and my brain like rejected <laughs> it like a, a transplanted organ. Uh, the idea that I and I'm trying to think I mean I've seen Kevin James have like serious moments yeah. in his roles. But we're talking about Paul Blart Mall Cop, yes. right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Is he, he plays a serious character? Yes. And intimidating. Is he good?
0: Yes. It's very. He he does a great job. Have you ever seen him do serious work before? No, I don't think so. I, I mean, this is incredible for me. How yeah. does everybody know <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a really amazing shot where um, the family's on the couch and he's addressing them, and he takes off his hat to reveal his shaved head and a huge swastika on the back of his head. And it's, like, just a really elegant shot. Like, it's a very well done. Um, I, again, the directing and acting is not – I'm not saying, like – He does a – his job in this movie is to be uh, very um, – nemes- uh, uh, um, what am I saying? Menacing. Menacing. I almost yeah. said menacing. That's not a word. Menacing and, and scary and brutal. And you, you, are, you fear him like you do. Like, he's uh, – you think he's gonna kill this whole family like to get what he wants. Like so that is good. I mean um but you're and the the part that was kind of wonky is Joe McHale. Like that was the that was the hard part of him being like this loving like dad. It just
1: i, I, I you're just waiting for the sarcastic quip.
0: Yeah, I just yeah I didn't love that part of the casting. Um but again, these are not movies that you're gonna get a ton out of. They're just fun, action, like I said, adult uh, home alone style antics um I, I really want to give away one of the scenes be, um, but I won't just check it out if you if you get a chance watch it it's fun I, I had a blast I would watch a third one if, if it if they kept the same idea like the same like like I said setting booby traps or just really screwing with the bad guys um, I would be all for it so that's Becky and wrath of Becky uh, check it out all right. Got one more?
1: No, I, nope, think, we're I good. think we should we should move on here.
0: All right. That's going to do it for Media Hot Takes. Let's get to our review of Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Barbie stars Margot Robbie as the titular Barbie. Uh, we also have Ken here played by Ryan Gosling. Tons of just huge, awesome casting choices here. I'm not going to run through the entire cast, but I will mention... Um, that uh, American Ferreira it plays kind of a main character in this uh, along with Ariana Greenblatt who plays her daughter. Um, Helen Mirren also does the narration and Will Ferrell plays the a Mattel CEO. So that's where we'll leave it That, Colin, what are your non-spoiler thoughts on Barbie?
1: Right, so I you know, uh, first of all, I'm, a, I'm out of the game, you know, <laughs> as I've, I've told Brian before, so we, i think something we we've always kind of uh le- leaned into on the show is really avoiding uh, to the to the extent we can uh avoiding promo avoiding spoilers um but really avoiding anything that could kind of uh you know it which isn't always possible could color your experience of something um so i i i don't know about you i'm excited to hear about what you brought into this film, but I knew, I knew absolutely nothing about the film going in. Um, I knew that, uh, it was directed by Greta Gerwig. I knew it was co-written by uh, Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, her partner. Um, I knew the cast was extraordinary. Uh, and, uh, that, I mean, really from a filmmaking perspective, that's it. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm so, I feel so out of the loop here, but uh, I've not seen a Greta Gerwig film to date. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've not seen Frances Ha. I did not see Lady Bird. Um, I didn't see the, she do the uh, Little Women? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I've not, and, and she's an acclaimed d- director. Uh, and I, I just, I, I, feel, I feel guilty because she's one of the, kind of the big names working um, now. Uh, and everything she's done has been uh, so well received and I haven't seen any of her films. So I was really excited to to kind of uh, finally get to see a Greta Gerwig film and I had so much fun. I had so much fun seeing this film. Um, Again, not knowing what to expect. Uh, You know, I I thought it would probably be a a funny film. Um, It's, I, I mean... I feel like it's a comedy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I, I didn't... I kind of didn't know which element of the film was going to be defining. If it was going to be, like, you know, an, an adventure film or, like, a you know, coming-of-age or... Uh, I, I, I didn't know what to expect. Um, I have not laughed this hard in a the movie theater uh, in... I, I couldn't even tell you the last time I laughed this right. hard in a the movie theater. Um, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. It was a blast. And... You know, regardless of uh, you know what other uh, the the other implications or you know uh, the other aspects of the film, uh, you know, my overriding takeaway (laughs) is like it it was just such a great experience. It it was uh it's it was so clever. Um, it was it was so well executed. The performances were were great. Um, the production uh is. Is just <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, it benefited from the, the theatrical experience, which I wasn't necessarily expecting. Um, like I feel like it's a, it's a good film to the, good film to see in theaters. Um, and I, I'd like to talk I, obviously more about the kind of the uh, the aspect, different aspects of the film. But really, uh, my spoiler-free review is: I feel like there there's something here for everyone. Um, the there are, there are a lot of uh, kind of, I, I think the film is about examining um, r- really the uh, kind of a uh, feminism um, or femininity um, through a very specific cultural lens mm-hmm. uh, or using a very specific kind of uh, motif to uh, examine that idea. Um, so in, in some ways, I, this is just me acknowledging that the film isn't even necessarily for me and that didn't matter at all. It was, I still had so much fun. Um, it's, it's just a, it it was just a, a thoroughly enjoyable film. Um, so that, I think that's where I want to start. Uh, so.
0: Yeah, I agree. I concur with everything you said. Like I was. Uh, didn't, I mean, I saw the first trailer that was released, but it was not, I mean, I didn't even know that, I mean, I guess this is a spoiler, I don't know if it's a spoiler to mention that it, uh, I'll save it, but I wasn't aware of some of the transitions to other parts of, you know what I'm saying here? <laughs> right, there,
1: there, there may be uh some kind of like meta narrative stuff. Um, I and we're talking about a, a film about a toy, so I feel like me just saying... Meta narrative is probably not a spoiler, right? But the way that's handled, I guess.
0: Yeah, I didn't know any of that honestly. I didn't even know honestly that Will Ferrell was in the movie until someone um, mentioned it on um, on social media. But I didn't know what context he was, uh, the CEO. Like, I didn't. I, I just didn't know what was what's happening in that. So I came in with like very little knowledge of the movie as well. I mean, I kind of I had an idea that it was gonna be a comedy, um, but one thing that really struck me in this movie is just how thoughtful the world building was and how even the parts that you could we could really like nitpick are just not necessary it's not necessary to do like this is a whimsical film and it is also at the same time a grounded movie as well. The feelings the um the satire, the emotional um, roller coaster that you feel at times it, it's its all grounded like it, it is but at the same time there is a whimsy to it and I really appreciated that I wasn't necessarily expecting those. I thought this was going to be more of a goofy film um, right or even maybe
1: more of a like a a, uh, a film aimed at a at, uh, like a, chi- a children's film or, or something like that uh, you know I
0: yeah I agree and it's not it's it, there's a lot of adult themes in this a lot of reckoning with um, self-image <laughs> And just there's a, I, I am just blown away by the writing honestly like I right. I am shocked at how well it translated and how much it resonated with me. Um, I thought it was going to be an interesting watch for us just because of the film and context of who was making it and what was going, who was involved, but I really didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. And like you said, laugh out loud funny. Like I literally just was cracking up majority of the film and. Yeah, it's it's a rare thing in cinema today to find a, a genuinely funny film that's not just parts of it are funny or there are funny moments. It was l- consistently funny throughout. Like, um, and again, it's not just humor. I would consider this a comedy, but there are some real moments of 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 um, human emotion and levity. I think in this. Um, so yeah, I I am probably gonna see this movie again with my wife. Um, and it's not very often uh, that I see a film twice in the theater. Um, in this day and age, one because I don't see a lot of movies in the theater, and two, um, the quality of the films aren't necessarily have been have been there in the last couple of years. So, right, um, yeah, great job by all involved.
1: Right. So, uh, Brian, I feel like the, you no, know, I I think I show back up here just <laughs> kind of like a like a lost cat about every eighteen months, scratching at the door <laughs> yeah. uh, to record another podcast. <laughs> And I feel like up until now, and uh, I think it's because you're punishing me for leaving the show. Um, and I'm only I'm only about 85% kidding when I say that., yeah. but the, the the track record of film selection <laughs> has not been great. Yeah, uh, yeah, for my revisits here. I mean, we did, uh, Star Wars Episode Three. <laughs> yeah, we did Wonder Woman eight eighty four
0: and uh, Suicide Squad. The James Gunn. Okay,
1: so that that was an exception. I, I did enjoy that a lot. Um, uh, yeah, so this this film is uh, was just it was it was a pleasant surprise in so many ways. Um, it, the film itself is just a joy. I I also feel the same way where I am like I'm not a person that revisits movies. Uh, I, again in rapid succession at all I would absolutely be willing to go see this in theaters again and I, I think that uh, for me personally that's just incredibly rare and I think that says something um, I, I I don't know what the the promotional material and uh, the press is like for this mm. movie so I, I don't like I don't know how to frame it against what your perception of the movie might be but I um, it really it, you mentioned the screenplay and oh my god that the 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 script and the writing is just uh it it takes a a very difficult topic and it looks at it um and works with it in just such uh such a skillful way yeah um that it's. It, it, this is. I. I really. I feel like. In. In a lot of ways, this is a, one of the most subversive movies I've ever seen. Yeah. Um. Like it. Just. It's so deft. Uh. And it's so skillful. It's. it's almost like magic. Um. Where. You, you know they you're. You're laughing. Uh. At something and. It's. Everything is is happening at at multiple levels. <laughs> uh. Right. Uh. Uh, just the, the entire time throughout the entire film um it but it, it does that without um coming across as pandering or yeah uh i, I mean it there there are some moments you could ar- probably argue are heavy handed but it just in general it i think it it navigates that um it, uh, this juxtaposition of like uh this very serious topic um and then this like bright joy- joyful um you know uh uh cinematography uh and production and like this the child's toy and just all all of these things uh comes together so well um and yeah i, I just uh i feel like um this like this film has something to offer everyone really yeah, I agree. um yeah like unless you are just the angriest misogynist um <laughs> I mean, you should probably see this film too, but uh, yeah, I don't know if it will uh, if it will work for you. But like, really, it's just it just it works at uh, so many levels. Um, even if you like ignore the context of the film, it's hilarious. Um, the The performances are great. Uh, yeah, I, I just uh, I unequivocally um, would recommend it. I had, I had a great time, and uh, again, I, I can't remember the last last thing we watched that was uh, you know this fun yeah
0: I agree real quick before we move on to spoilers I want to mention because I think it's worth noting that um, the soundtrack and composition of the film which is done by Mark Ronson you know famous um, producer in Hollywood or producer in um, the music industry um, it's fantastic I thought the music in this and the original songs were just a really big bright spot um like i was not expecting that the I, I thought there would be a lot of like like goofy music if there was any or it would be like almost like a 90s pop type style music and it's not it's like very um it's very tongue-in-cheek um um uh, it's it's almost
1: hard to talk about with it without mm-hmm. uh in this part of the show um but it's it's integrated into the 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 context of the film in a way that uh, you is is like is I think a novel in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, sure. But that also feels uh, you know like tonally just right and appropriate. And uh, yeah, it, it was a very not something I, you see, um, and definitely not something I, I feel like has been used this way this successfully in uh, film before. So that's a great call-out.
0: Yeah. No, I, I... But I... Yeah, I just really thought that they did a, a, an excellent job with the with the music. And, and Ronson and um his partner... uh I can't remember the guy's name. Nick Wyatt, maybe? Uh, sorry. But whatever. Uh, you know, they're a duo. They work together all the time. But, you know, I just... I think they did... I, I don't know that they... I, have, I should look this up. I could do it right now, but I'm not going to because it's not the big deal. But, like, I don't know that they've done movie composition and, and and soundtracks for movies before but i just i i was taken back by like for me how fun it was but um um yeah any um any other thoughts before we move to spoilers
1: i i mean not really i i just uh this this movie i don't know what the the uh the rotten tomato score is but i think it has like an 80 on metacritic and uh that I mean, I guess that's like an average of four out of five stars, but I would even put it a little above that. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, I, we, I guess some more context is we, in talking about recording this episode, we knew this episode was going to happen and it seemed like we had a choice between Barbie and Oppenheimer. Yeah. Um, unfortunately we couldn't do the Barbenheimer double feature that you all want and, and deserve, deserve Uh, you deserve it. We just, we're not, Mm -hmm. we're not good enough to bring it to you. Uh, but I, I think our overriding thought uh, after walking out of the theater, uh, not really knowing what to expect with this film, is that like we made the right choice. It was just, it was, it was so much fun. Um, absolutely no regrets, and uh, yeah, uh, a very unique film. And uh, you know, I, I I was very impressed. I I feel like. Uh, it, there, there's not really any any weakness for me or anything that detracted from my experience
0: there. So, Totally agree. All right. Let's let's uh, let's move on to spoilers for Barbie. So if you don't want to hear spoilers for Barbie, stop listening now. What? Honey. Wow. Are you kidding me? Really? really? You just ruin it every oh, time. I'll see you at home. Oh, wait so a second.
1: Rude. Now how would you not know that that was taking place? So I feel like uh, the... You know, just kind of like the the film opens, and I'm like, not knowing what to expect. And I, I guess my biggest fear going into this film is that this is like a a huge uh, i I mean, IP like right. Barbie. Barbie is it's Barbie, man. Right. Like it's it's fucking it is a uh, ubiquitous, right? It, it is a transcendent toy there there is nothing else like barbie right? i, saying, I think it is barbie. The,
0: the toy right like it is like the toy right? right
1: so so coming into this film i'm like uh you know what what did mattel like what did they let the filmmakers get right. away with it was a lot and <laughs> and the one of the early scenes is the the ken's talking about beaching off <laughs> and I really feel like that was a very intentional choice to let the audience know, like, oh yeah, we're gonna. This is like, where we're going. Yeah, we, we have some flexibility here to really, like, do some fun things, and uh, yeah, like they they really. Uh, it's not like a subtle thing. Like, no, right. They they push push the dialogue in that scene like really. Even if you're not quick on the uptake. Like I feel like you get the joke, and yeah, that sets, right. yeah. sets the like. They just keep repeating it. Right. Uh, it doesn't feel like ridiculous in in the moment, but uh, I, that I think set the bar, and the rest of the film delivered. Um, Agreed.
0: Agreed. I think um, one important thing to the, when we when we talk about this movie is in the in that in the, in the world building choices is that nothing. Um, nothing comes as surprise. Like I, what I mean by that is like, even when they're like, "Oh, you got to go to the world, or the real world," and I didn't know that that was happening. Like right. I did not know that that was part of this movie. I didn't know that they were that she was. And honestly, that was kind of my fear was that they were gonna be it was gonna be like this fish out of water thing the whole time. But when they, it just the the transition from there is just so well done. It's so whimsical. It's so fun, and you get to see so much of the relationship between Barbie and Ken specifically, obviously there's a lot of Barbie and Ken's in this, but specifically Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie, their character and, and how much, you know, he idolizes her and he loves her and he has basically put her on a pedestal and how she kind of is dismissive of him and annoyed by um, him basically being a dumb blonde. Mm -hmm. Um, I just thought that was so well done. Like, and I, I was not expecting that kind of relationship and Really, the movie went to another gear when um, she sheds that first tear. Like, I was like, okay, that's what this movie's about. Um, and that's probably 35 40 minutes into the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, it was like, because I was still kind of like unsure at that point exactly where we were. I was in on it, like, I, I thought it was funny, but I wasn't sure when they went to the real world because I just wasn't expecting that. I was like, okay what the fuck is happening here what are we doing and it 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 delivered in a way that I wasn't expecting
1: right I, I mean even just uh, like the 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 creation of this uh, the Barbie society and and like every so everything I fe- I feel like uh, they they took on with the script mm-hmm. was was so clever uh and so well done so you i mean you start with the the idea of this the barbie utopia uh contextualized like by the actual toys and um even though actually rewinding it even rewinding it like the the opening um the opening sequence which is like the the, a Planet of the Apes callback yeah, which was um, great was was very clever and yeah. uh, I feel like put me at, at ease a little bit but there, there are kind of all these um, there are explorations of a lot of relationships but uh, even kind of that the, the first thing they take on which was you know like what is what is the Barbie universe what would right. Barbie society look like um, just based on you know the what toys have been produced right. is very funny, and then they they fit it in with um, the you know the greater context. But the the film makes all these leaps, and it just it just keeps working. Like the um, the transition to from the you know the the Barbie universe to quote unquote the real world, and then kind of back into this weird surreal place with uh, Mattel and the Mattel <laughs> yeah. headquarters being like. A, a a non-reality and then you know by the end of it all all three have intersected and uh you know america Ferrera is kind of like the the anchor and like the audience insert um Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways tying everything together and there there's really a lot going on there uh and it it just it never feels like we are they took on too much or there's um there's too much to keep track of or th- or things start to feel the pacing right. falls apart or things feel contrived um and really it's just a testament to ha- just how good the the screenplay was how good the script was um y- you know and, and there were just a lot of moments in in the film where i'm like not sure what to expect like uh the scene where they rollerblade up to the construction yeah. workers
0: yeah and
1: <laughs> Uh, <laughs> she's like, I don't have a vagina, and he doesn't have a penis, <laughs> and like, wh- I mean, I I was not expecting them to take that there, right? Uh, yeah. like, it just you, you know, I I eh, everything the film did, I, I feel like worked for me, um, and and was a lot of fun, like the, <laughs> and just like let's talk let's talk about the idea of like barbie land being this hyper matriarchal society <laughs> yeah. and yeah the, the 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 disenfranchised um like objectified ken's coming to los angeles and discovering the idea of patriarchy
0: <laughs> yes right
1: and then uh, uh and then there's a like the weird meta but that's that's hilarious Um yeah. performances were great uh you know, I, I just, I, I, I mean, I, I kind of want to see this film again. Like, I, I want to revisit it. I, I don't know if some of the, uh, maybe the, uh, the more serious themes, um, the heavier themes. I, I'd be interested to see how how they hold up. Um, the examination of them holds up on a second viewing, right? Uh, it, I mean, and you know, it if the film gets critiqued or if anybody takes issue with the film, that that is going to be what they they aim at, right? They're gonna, I I just, you know, I see the the writing on the the wall here. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I I feel like I've just been, been kind of rambling. No, Um,
0: I I think you're right. So I think that this movie does a really good job of parsing out the way that I think that our generation or the, Gen ears feel kind of about Barbie, right? Um, and uh, Greta Gerwig's kind of dealing with her thoughts on the doll, right? Uh, or the toy. Which I thought was very interesting because I've seen reviews um, that are kind of upset with her about not blasting the idea of Barbie a little bit harder. And it's really about... And this, to me, is like more of a personal film. And I think that's why it feels the way it does is because... I I don't think Greta Gerwig, and I'm not obviously can't speak for her, but it seems to me in her making this film is she's not trying to talk about like necessarily the overall societal implications of Barbie uh, or things like that, but just how it made her feel and her reckoning with um, Barbie and the toy itself. It felt very personal in that way to me. Um, right. I, I, I mean,
1: that's it. Seems like such a weird critique when there there is uh, some very there's one scene devoted to very explicitly calling out all of the, the problematic implications of Barbie and like tearing down the, you know, this, uh, this identity, uh, this empowering identity that, uh, you know, I mean, stereo, stereotypical Barbie had been (laughs) constructed or been fed. Like they, they dismantle it very, I mean, just rapid fire. Right. So, uh, I, I mean, I like, what do you want? Would you want Mattel to sign off on a film <laughs> that is a an indictment right. of like their most successful and ubiquitous product? Right. Like, what? I, I just, uh, I was, sh- I mean, I was shocked at how far the envelope oh, yeah? was pushed here. I agree. Not that there's anything like, you know, offensive or really, um, yeah, you, you know, uh, but, bold, here, but but like the. The CEO, the right. CEO scene, like right uh,
0: the the way that they portray, portray right. the board, right, or the you know Will Ferrell's character, or or even the way that they you know kind of talk about um, some of the discontinued Barbies, right? Like like just bringing those to light and saying like like this was messed up or this was weird or why did you guys do this? Kind of like it it. it they don't it doesn't really hide the ugly parts I think of of what the brand did but I just think it's really a reckoning of with Greta Gerwig and her um maybe her own image issues and I think it did a really good job of treating Margot Robbie fairly in that lead character and like you know there's nothing wrong with being pretty and there's nothing wrong with being smart it's like there's nothing wrong with being fat or being weird like it does a really good job of basically giving everyone their own um uh self-worth right there's a better word for that that i can't find but like giving them their own agency like there's there's nothing wrong with being who you are and that's kind of the theme of the film is like we so many times you see people uh like you know maybe come down on someone like Murray robbie because you know she's unfairly attractive the same thing with ryan god they unfairly but like it's also like well that's who they are like you you know like so i I thought the film did a really good job of addressing that and dealing with those kind of issues and i also i i really i loved the juxtaposition between the matriarch and the patriarch like like i just thought that that was a very clever idea right like and giving ken some self-worth at the end right like like the idea of of her helping him find like who he is and it's not you know The idea of like them, you know, Wilfred was like they fall in love. He's like, and like, no, that's not that's not it. Like, your self worth is derived outside of your desire to be with someone else. Like, this is who you are. And I just thought that that was really clever writing, and it was a subversive ending that I I loved. Um, What are your What were your thoughts on on,
1: that? Well, I mean, the real uh, so yeah, Mm -hmm. obviously, like the uh, the it would have undermined everything that Mm -hmm. the film built and stood for if they somehow pivoted to actually right, right, right. Ken being a, you know, a romantic interest for Barbie because, right. but the, uh, I was, I was actually, I, and I just was thinking about this. Like I was so unsure how they could end the film right. after, uh, you know, that kind of the, the narrative concludes. And, and I thought the, like the little capstone scene was just, it was just chef's kiss. It was, yeah. uh, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I was like, how are they? How are they going to close out the like? Actually, close out the film. Goddamn hilarious! Hilarious, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: I do yeah. think I, I want to real quick talk about specifics, um, and then we can close out the episode. Um, but I thought Ryan Gosling kind of stole this movie in a lot of ways. Um, his performance is so good, and he's so funny. Um, obviously, it's Margot Robbie's movie; she's fantastic. But I do right. think Ryan Gosling was fantastic, and. I mentioned I cannot imagine somebody else playing that role. Like I just feel like he was perfect.
1: I you know I I don't know that I can't imagine anybody else playing the role. I I mean I don't have like an alternate casting choice. Uh, I think so. He was great. He was hilarious. Um, I think some of that is just uh, getting him to see getting to see him play outside of his usual, um, you know, uh, casting outside mm-hmm. of his usual. I can't. I mean, I, I don't know what other. Comedic roles he's taken
0: before. Um, Other guy or the nice guys. The, yeah, that's true. Um,
1: um, that's true. Uh, which I, I feel like it's a, a, a much a different kind of comedy. Oh, yeah, but yeah. but you know that no, that's an excellent point. But um, yeah, he uh, he clearly I, f- I feel like he was having a, a great time um, in the role, and he gets to be be the foil, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, that, right. Uh, where Margot Robbie has to do the the heavy lifting, um, in the kind of the uh, emotional sense, um, mm-hmm. f- for the film, and he gets to just be um, kind of a goofy, oblivious object, uh, right, on his own weird little journey of self discovery. And
0: that's kind of what I was going to say too. That you just reminded me. I I am you know really glad that they didn't make the villain like Mattel and the C C the ceo because i thought that's where we were going um and obviously there is some villainy there but having ken turn into somewhat of the villain was brilliant i love that uh even though there's not a real true i guess villain per se in this but like as much as there was it it, it is him and i just thought that that was really smart
1: yeah i, I mean just uh again like i the whole the whole screenplay like the narrative arcs i just it's it's all so clever and it just works so well in the context of the film how long was the movie by the
0: way an hour and 50 minutes
1: yeah it, like it just it went by very quickly yeah um and the the pacing is is great uh nothing feels like it drags um and just kind of yeah, the yeah the 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 their reductionist take on like male masculine culture the patriarchy it <laughs> was so, so good it was so funny oh my God. it's so funny all of the all of the social commentary in this film is uh it's it's like it's on point but it's it's presented in such a uh, like a non offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and and the clever way that it's it's disarming like a disarming way very much so um, yeah um but yeah yeah ryan got the and the <laughs> one of the final shots of his character where he's wearing the i am canuff shirt Knuff, Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: oh. i can say so much about uh the music too in this i, I want to bring up two points one I love that the Barbie song is in the car is Indigo Girls, and then the the switch of that is right. What was it? It was like Matchbox Twenty. Yeah. Uh, I, is the name of the song "Push You Around"? Uh, I don't know the ex- actual name of the song, but I thought
1: it was something. Else. Was that what came on in the car? It was the same song.
0: Because uh, that
1: was what they were singing at the campfire. Oh
0: yeah. Right. It uh, was. It
1: was. It was some something stereotypical. I like,
0: don't remember now. Yeah. Um, but that's what they were seeing yeah that's what right. he, they sing is uh, matchbox 20 and then you know them singing indigo girls um closer to fine uh i just that's just brilliant i i loved it um and then also that the mu- the music uh musical number with uh, was it i am ken or what i am, I, for, I forget what the the song was but with where he's singing with uh, the rest of the kens and they're dancing just right. fabulous i i really loved like those little touches. And I obviously can't remember all the lyrics, but there are some really hilarious lyrics within those songs. Um Just brilliant, brilliant writing. Um I also wanted to mention like, there are so many like inside jokes here that like, I feel like maybe played to us uh, because we love film. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's a lot of fil- inside film jokes in here that are, um, that that humor may not resonate for a broader audience, but yeah, he just did a really good job of, uh, in my opinion, of layering some funny stuff that I, I felt like I was in on the joke. I guess.
1: So when you when you brought up the the um, the music, one of the things I thought you were going to point out is the the opening to uh, you know Barbie Land. Um, when we're introduced, there's a a theme playing but it's a narrative theme yeah so it's like describing what's happening right, right um, yeah and then when the kens take over <laughs> uh it's it it's now a man singing, singing and yeah. like the you know so just the little touches like that um yeah but but the, the musical number was great uh simi simi lu is that how you pronounce his name yeah. uh was uh you know a great foil or or second ken and yeah. the uh you know that the the contextualization of like the you know the this the war and this masculine violence within barbie <laughs> land where they're they, they, <laughs> they don't know how to fight and then the, there's like a you know like a um, shonen anime uh, power level yeah. beam fight except it's with like um barbie sparkle uh <laughs> Just you know, (laughs) just I yeah the I just uh, everything about the film was just so unexpected and then just so fun. I just uh, we should also
0: I think mention I think Michael Sarah as Alan. Right, where's Michael Sarah been, man? I feel I feel bad for him, but I'm
1: glad he got to show up and play a fun role. uh, Yeah, as Alan. (laughs) As Alan, and again, like the just the little subversions in this film where he like. He gets out and he just, uh, you know, beats up all the Kens <laughs> like he's he's the baddest one on the block. <laughs> like totally so unexpected and fa- and fantastic. So uh, good.
0: Uh, yeah. Like, you don't don't make me do this. Yeah. Just starts choking
1: <laughs> and it cuts away with him choking choking <laughs> the one with the shovel. Uh,
0: uh, um. Yeah. Just those little nuggets are so good. That I think Ken's, that this movie Ken's will. Friend. <laughs> I think this movie will a hundred percent. Um benefit from a rewatch as well i think there's like bits of humor that we missed i just overall i I loved it um bravo to everyone involved um i think that the only last thing i'll say and then i'll give you the final word is um i i think that anyone who um i don't want to say you can't have a a bad take on this film, but I just feel like if there's either ulterior motives on either side, I, I, and I think either you're like you you are kind of annoyed by the feminist um, um, take, or your you it doesn't go far enough. It's my and I, I feel like it's the two extremes because this is a this is a crowd pleasing film to me. Uh, it, it makes sense. Um, it's well written. It's funny, and I think that the points that it's making i don't know how you could disagree with what it's saying
1: right i i uh i guess my my final thought would be um i i think this is a such a unique film because it takes um you know a very profitable well-known ip one of probably the best known ip toy brand uh, ever yeah. Um, and it does something incredibly unique and subversive with it uh, while, uh, you know, being fun and having something uh, interesting there. And it's just, it's such a weird line for a film to walk, and it does it so well. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine, like, I'm trying to think of another equivalent. Um, like somebody letting their their character or their brand be licensed and um you know and and the weird thing is like i feel like something like this i'm talking about it like it's this huge risk and it shouldn't be but Mm -hmm. really companies are uh you know they're very careful and protective because uh, for you know for good reason i guess they're you you make a mistake and uh You do something bad and you pay for it and, you know, companies exist to make money. But, um, I just, it's, it's just such an interesting film. It, it felt, uh, so much smarter and, um, more real and interesting and subversive than any other film associated with a brand Mm -hmm. or associated with an established IP. Um, I, I just can't think of anything else like this film, um, and then you know it—it it kind of navigates these, all of these different ideas so well. It, it just there, there's so many. Uh, it, the film exists and works at so many different levels, um, and I—I I think it's very unique. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just very smart and it's—it's it's hilarious. It's a great time, um, even if you ignore everything else. Like, <laughs> I mean, just the. Uh, ryan gosling it, uh, like his his everything that everything that happens with his character on screen like the childlike wonder yeah the the montage scene where he's discovering the patriarchy so <laughs> like, it's just hilarious. and then it comes back to barbie land it just there uh, yeah i had a great time i'm so glad we saw this film Me too. i think it's an incredibly unique film and uh i you know i i loved it it was great and great
0: time. Uh, early early review says that this is quentin tarantino's favorite film of the year so
1: you know what i uh i see what you did there um <laughs> i've been waiting you know what old... but but he's like he's like whatever i've already i've already seen those feet His that's old, true old that's news true. He,
0: uh, yeah they were featured in once upon a time in hollywood good point
1: not like this though. not like this no yeah yeah
0: He's probably he's probably jealous. He probably had a stroke. <laughs> Is he still alive for for his last film that he's making? Um, well, Colin, it's been fun. I'm glad you were back on the show. I absolutely had a blast talking with you and seeing this movie. I, I'm so happy we chose this, um, and I'm so happy I got the podcast with you. Thanks. Yeah, it was it was
1: great, man. I'll see you in another uh, another eight years.
0: Another eight years uh, for Barbie two. Barbie two. <laughs> Ken's revenge. Ken's revenge. No, Alan's, Alan's revenge. revenge. <laughs> Yeah. really
1: if I mean if they're going to set up a sequel it's such a such an easy
0: well I uh, don't know about that. Well, we'll see, we'll see. Um, alright well I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Midnight Film Review we'll catch you on the flip side okay bye